MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is comedian and activist Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. Welcome back. Hi, A.G. It is nice to be back. I hope you had a good weekend. I did. I had a good weekend, and uh, I missed you, so I'm very happy to be able to talk to you again. <laughs> Chomping at the bit to talk about these chapters. Yes. Um, these are some good ones. This is a lot of backstory, and it's so important um, and relevant to like what Donald Trump became or has become and um, this is episode two of a six-part series where we discuss the book too much and never enough it's a best-selling book by mary trump she sold almost a million copies on the first day that's more than trump sold for art of the deal in like three decades 29 years it's just beautiful it's a beautiful thing <laughs> i know it's like um i'm gonna rub some salt in that wound um <laughs> And she is the niece of Donald Trump. Today we're going to cover chapters two, three, and four. So go ahead and pause and go listen. All right, welcome back. And now um, I have to thank Stephen Isaac for making this series possible. He's a patron of ours, as are all of you. This is for patrons only. So let everyone know about this series and let them know they can become a patron. Just go to dailybeanspod.com. And thank you for all your amazing generosity. Um, all right, Dana, let's kick this off. Let's do it. I'm excited. Okay. You ready? Yes. Chapter two is called The First Son. <laughs> the First Son. This chapter is about Mary's dad, Fred Jr., or Freddy, as, as um, we will be calling him like more often than not. And she opens up by saying that Freddy, as the oldest son, went from being protected from Fred Sr.'s shittiness to having, to having being the oldest as a giant burden for having been the oldest, right? So, like, you would think that because you're the firstborn son your dad would be really nice to you because he wants you to take over the family business. But you'd think as time went on, it was a huge burden to him and may have contributed to the loss of his life. And, you know, Mary explains this by saying as he got older, he became torn between immense responsibility placed on him for, you know, taking over the business and the inclination to be his own man. Isn't that weird? It, it, I think that probably happens to so many men and boys that are born into families where they are the firstborn and their namesake and they feel that pressure. I, I think a lot of them lose themselves early on in life. And we saw it happen. And Mary explained it incredibly well in this chapter. Yeah. It, I mean, look at look at Donald Trump Jr., right? Oh, he hated geez. his dad for like ever. And so, but, you know, here we are. 
It is hard to look at Donald Trump Jr. when you said that. Look at Donald Trump Jr. I was like, maybe we can just talk about him. It is hard to look at him. He's high as fuck on the fucking internet, dude. Oh my God, his eyes. I don't know if it's if he's having an allergic reaction to cocaine and it's Vaseline to make it look like he's not a drug addict. I don't know what's going on with him, but they need to have an inner family intervention. I know. I'm like, hey, Visine, buddy. It's called Visine. Um, <laughs> anyway, like we learned that in high school. But anyway, so... She, she here's a quote from the book mary says if the boys were tossing a ball around the basement like freddie and his friends the yeah. sound of the garage door opening was enough to cause freddie to freeze right like oh my dad's home everybody we gotta chill what a horrible pavlovian response to live in your house and just hear that and go in like to paralysis mm. mm-hmm. it, so from such a young age it's awful Awful, awful. Yeah. When we heard the garage open and dad was coming home, we were like, fuck yeah. Woohoo. Right. <laughs> Maybe not fuck yeah, but. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know what? No one likes a bragger, AG. My dad was gone for 12 years. We never heard the garage door open. Keep going with your stories. <laughs> Dude, I grew up in a Rockwell fucking landscape. I apologize. <laughs> I grew nothing. up in a single parent household run by a Jewish mother and two out of three kids are gay. I'm doing quite well with psychotherapy. Thank you very much. Mm, mm. Got it. Got it. <laughs> now, um, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into, not yours, but this family's. That's a different, that's a different podcast for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and here's the thing. Because of this Pavlovian shit response, uh, Freddie started lying to his dad early on about his activities outside the house, hanging out with his friends and going boating and fishing and shit. And he did that to avoid humiliation and disapproval. So lying became a way of life. And it was a defensive maneuver, too. But for Donald, lying was a tool of self-aggrandizement, you know, because to mm-hmm. Fred Sr. And, and Donald learned this by watching him and, you know, his dad and his brother interact. And to Fred Sr., softness and weakness were like the big sins. He hated it when Freddie screwed up, but he hated it even more when Freddie would apologize. That's one of my lines that Mary said. She said Fred had already determined to toughen him up. Like most people who aren't paying attention to where they're going, however, he overcorrected. And I think that happens so often. And, and just to, you know, to that whole, I mean, we see that in Donald, right? He never apologizes for anything. He's, you know, never, you know, deny, deflect, never apologize and attack the other side. And Donald, oh. you know, like I said, he had the benefit of nearly an eight year age difference with Freddie. So he learned that it was wrong to be whatever Freddie was being. Exactly. And so that's where he watched and learned never apologize, never explain yourself, just attack the other side and move forward. And Mary says here, um, and this is like really, whew, this is pretty heavy. This quote, this quote got me for sure. Yeah, yeah me, me too. And she said, abuse can be quiet and insidious just as of, or even more often than it is loud and violent. Fred dismantles his oldest son by devaluing and degrading every aspect of his personality and his natural abilities until all that was left was self-recrimination and a desperate need to please a man who had no use for him. Oh, You know what's so interesting? I mean, the pain of that that we see in the next few chapters, which you'll talk about, but we see it with Trump. We see it with Trump, with Putin, and we see it with these, these dictators that he just desperately wants their approval so it plays it played out in trump too it just didn't necessarily play out with his father it's playing out on a global stage with all of these dictators mm-hmm. except putin has a use yes for that's trump true. Which, which just i think strengthens his resolve to keep kissing his ass oh you know my god um just like donald's father had a use for him um 
and Donald became unable to develop and experience like any human emotion because of the family dynamic. He didn't learn the basics. Like you're not supposed to take other kids shit, you know, or hit people or tease them. Right. Be tough at all costs was kind of his lesson. Right. And um, Mary says here, Donald's growing arrogance in part was in part a defense against his feelings of abandonment and an antidote to his lack of self-esteem. It served as a protective cover for his deepening insecurities. And as a result, he was able to keep most people at arm's length. And um, I think this is the reason, one of the reasons, Donald Trump has no friends. And that, you know, we learned that from Wolkoff's book about Melania Trump. Trump, Donald Trump right. has no friends, no confidants, no one close to him. No. And there's a reason we talked about this in the last episode. That's why there's leakers. There's no one that has a loyalty to him that it's not based in their own self-interests. So if someone's not talking about him or not leaking about him, it's because they're benefiting from it. You know, he doesn't have anyone that's loyal to him based on a love or a friendship because he doesn't have the capacity to love back. He doesn't have the capacity to build these bonds. Yeah, and that's sort of how it's mob-like, except the mob has fewer rats. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And I think that this will be their undoing. It's like a circular firing squad. They're all so selfish and evil. They have no sense of loyalty. Even La Cosa Nostra had had sub, you know, had loyalty. And and that's I think going to be their undoing. Um and we see it all the time. We see it in plea agreements. Everybody's flipping on each other, rolling on each other, ratting each other out. And um that's not a good way to run a national the transnational crime syndicate <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but yet trump runs around and asks for everybody's loyalty right and sign an nda sign an nda which is funny because that's not loyalty it's actually coercion yeah a hundred percent and this reminds me too this this little quote here reminds me of um one of my friends who's a comedian his name's tamar katan uh, he has, he told me a story about, he used to be an ad exec, right? He used to met like madmen mm -hmm. and in New York and he was golfing with a, a potential client and the, the potential client was like, Oh, you're a comedian. Ha ha ha. And so he starts like trying to be funny and telling jokes and Tamar's not laughing. And, and the executive is like, everybody laughs at that joke. Why aren't you laughing? He's like, everyone laughs at that joke because you're rich and powerful and no one's holding a mirror up to your face. You're not funny. <laughs> and he hired him right then and there. He was like, you're my guy, you know? That sometimes you need it. You need it, but not this guy. This guy does not want anyone holding up mirrors to his face. Unless there's yeah. like lines of Adderall on it that he can snort and then maybe hold up a mirror to his face. Okay, wait, that's a tweet. I have to write that down. The only <laughs> mirror that comes near Trump's face <laughs> is the one lined with Adderall. Adderall. <laughs> Ugh, I crushed Adderall. <laughs> Has drugs. <laughs> um, and he doesn't even cut it up really good. That big chunk came flying out of his nose uh, during that speech the other day. Oh, yeah. His his drug crusher is fired for sure. That was a very large piece. You could see his face when it came out, too. He went, oh, shit. Like, he stopped talking and went, oh, shit. He saw it out of the corner of his eye. He's like, Pew! whoa. It's and, um... snowing in September. <laughs> in Washington, D.C. Um... Oh, fuck. That was just like, hey, whoa there, buddy. Uh, every once in a while. <laughs> Magic happens. So 
Mary says um, she's also never seen any man in the family cry or express affection except for a handshake. I can see that seems like obvious, you know? Yeah. And next, um, and here, this is interesting. She addresses Robert, Donald's brother, who recently passed away, which sent Trump um, to a golf course. That, who, does, who doesn't grieve on a golf course, Al? Come on. I, I do, you know. Yeah, I do. That's I do. where I go. It's where I feel closest to God. Keep going. <laughs> Uh, um, but he discovered Trump discovered early how to get under Robert's skin and even though Robert was skinny and quiet and there was no sport in teasing him that actually made Trump go after him all the more so he would attack you know he that's he would attack weak people yeah um, and here's a here's a story from this chapter one Christmas the boys received three Tonka trucks which soon became Robert's favorite toys and as soon as Donald figured it out he started hiding them from his little brother and pretending he had no idea where they were and the last time it happened when Robert's tantrum spiraled out of control Donald threatened to dismantle the trucks in front of him if he didn't stop crying so he's his mom's solution was to hide the trucks in the attic effectively punishing Robert who had done nothing wrong and leaving Donald feeling invincible he won is exactly what happens. No consequences. He is the fire starter, and then he comes to play the fireman. We've seen it day in and day out during this administration. He is a professional arsonist who thinks he's a fireman. Yep. Um, and Donald is fragile. Fragile. Um, <laughs> when, when Freddie dumped a bowl of mashed potatoes on Donald's head. This is one of my favorite stories of the Mine book. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> It wounded, they were like at dinner and, and he was being a bully or an asshole or something. And so uh, Freddie just took a bowl of mashed potatoes, dumped it on his head. And it wounded Trump's pride so deeply, it still bothered him when Marianne brought it up in her toast at the dinner at the White House. And so I guess when Freddie did that with the mashed potatoes, everyone laughed at him. And it was the first time he had been humiliated by someone that he saw as less than someone who was beneath him and from then on mary trump says he would never allow himself to feel that feeling quote from then on he would wield the weapon never be at the sharp end of it we saw this in the debates alice and we saw it against hillary clinton when she was like you know he called him a, a russian puppet a putin's puppet and he lashed out you're the puppet you're the puppet like if anyone uses those weapons against him first, he turns into that child. He turns into that child that had the mashed potatoes dumped over his head. But it often happens on live television. It's it's so it's it's so incredibly interesting to watch, especially now that we have the psychosis behind all of it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody was like, "All you need to do, uh, Joe Biden, during the debates, is just bring a bowl of mashed potatoes." <laughs> Oh my God, just set them on your podium. <laughs> just set them on your podium every once in a while. Take a bite. Just just fuel yourself. <laughs> oh. Do the do the close encounters thing. Like make a, this is important. This means something. Oh goodness. Um, with that quote, uh, he would wield the weapon, never beat the sharp end of it. That is the end of chapter two. Hey everybody, this segment of the MSW Book Club is brought to you by BetterHelp, which provides licensed professional convenient online counseling. Let's face it, life can be very stressful. Things can sometimes feel overwhelming. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking we have to face the challenges alone. You do not. And if you're dealing with anything preventing you from living your best life, I highly recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or self-help. It's professional licensed therapy done securely online. Assess your needs and they match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. You know I've had my challenges with post-traumatic stress and generalized anxiety and I know how important it is to ask for help rather than to try to take things on by yourself. 
yourself. It's hard to ask for help, though, but you can do it. And I love how convenient BetterHelp services are. They're available to clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor, and you get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, which is so important, and that's why they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you want to. And it's more affordable than traditional counseling, and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read some testimonials, like this BetterHelp user, CO, who says of their counselor, Wes, My experience with Wes over these past couple months has been amazing. He has helped me set and hit my goals and has helped open my mind to a more compassionate perspective for both myself and others. Wes is such a kind, caring, and intuitive person. The experience has been everything and more than what I hoped it could be. Thank you so much. So visit betterhelp.com slash Club. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and you can join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for MSW Book Club listeners, you get 10% off your first month. So go to betterhelp.com slash club. You'll be glad you did. And so we can go into chapter three. It's called The Great I Am. And this one starts out, um, you know, Mary saying, by the time the older kids were heading off to college, Donald learned how to stay out of his dad's crosshairs, but he was trying to get the hang of actually getting in his good graces. Like not being attacked is one thing. Being liked is another. So he mm-hmm. figured he could do that. By not being like Freddie. So he was like a started hanging out in country clubs and offices and he doubled down on his bullying, blame shifting and refusing to take responsibility and, and disregarding authority. And by the time he was 12, I guess he developed a full on self-conscious superiority and Freddie had dubbed him the great I am, which he got from the book of Exodus that week in a Sunday school class. Um, that's uh, the, the, part of exodus where god appears to moses the great i am Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what he called donald and um you know kind of this sort of harkens back to the to um chapter two but donald learned to take what he wanted by watching his brother freddie ask their dad for things and then get humiliated so donald avoided that humiliation by just taking what he wanted and and she says whether donald understood the underlying message or not fred did in family life as in life there can be only one winner everyone else has to lose and that really struck me, that zero-sum game thing. And that's very transactional. And that is like the core of Donald Trump's leadership style. Absolutely. I mean, it goes into everything he does when it comes to like marginalized communities and telling them, you know, this is a piece of the pie. It doesn't take away from your pie. Like equal rights does not take away rights from other communities. But he's so convinced his base that if everyone's on an equitable playing field, that somehow you're losing something. He's so good at this. Yeah, and it explains his disdain for the military, right? Because being serving your country or being of service to others is not a transactional situation. It's just like servant leadership, right? It's the opposite. Right. So he doesn't understand if you're going to the military and you're getting shit pay, what the fuck are you doing it for? That's stupid. You're a sucker. You're a loser. You're mm-hmm. less than me. And that's why he threatened you know, to take Donnie out of the will and Tiffany out of the will if they ever joined the military, right? And, and that, that was sort of – that's just – kind of seems like the psychological basis for his his disdain and all these things that we learned from the Atlantic over the last week. And now he's doubling down on them in interviews. I mean, for a guy who was a draft dodger five times and actually had his dad fake bone spurs, a doctor fake bone spurs from favor to his dad for him to insult John McCain. And listen, I don't necessarily do agree with everything John McCain believed in, but you cannot deny that he was a prisoner of war. He fought for this country. And to have a draft dodger 
stand on a stage now and behind a podium with his emblem, just disparaging this guy after he said, I would never say anything bad about our military. And then he decided to say about 15 bad things about our military following that statement. It's insane. It's the, the gaslighting is unbelievable with this man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and now we're finding out he's, he's saying that the, well, the military, the leadership doesn't like me, but the frontline boots on the ground guys love me. Mm-hmm. And so now he's trying to drive a wedge in the chain of command of the leadership. And that's fucking bananas. That is, that is, God, that had to be Putin's idea. I, oh, I don't for know. For sure. Jesus. <laughs> um, now this, um, this whole, you know, Donald taking what he wanted and being an asshole, that led to him being more of a complete dick, totally disobeying his mom, being unafraid of his dad. That led to fighting, bullying, arguing with teachers, and that eventually led uh, Fred Sr. to send Donald to the New York Military Academy to rein him in because he was a piece of shit. And it was the only way for Fred to not have to deal with Donald anymore, right? As, a, as just, he's, it, he becomes a, annoying yeah. at that point. Send him away. because. Because he has to go to student-teacher conferences. and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I have to be a father. Whatever. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That's... <sighs> mm. That was almost a snort, AG. That was almost a snort. It was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It was just a lazy inhalation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Donald... Now, and we've heard him say, I was in the military academy. I That p- makes me basically military, and uh, it was awesome, and I was incredible. But he actually objected going to this school, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though today he says he's smarter than the generals and knows more about the military because he went to school there. Okay. Oh, it's like Madonna getting a British accent after she visited twice. I'm like, you're not from England yet. My God. But then, and this is interesting, Mary outlines the five kids' obvious disadvantages that they developed by having such absent parents. And how they, how they had become apparent, how that had become apparent when they got ready to go out into the world. And here are the five, the five kids. Marianne was the smart, ambitious girl in a misogynistic family. That was a disadvantage. Freddie's problem was his failure to be a different person entirely. Right? He he, he was Freddie. That was his problem. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth's problem was being the invisible middle child. Marsha, 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 and. Donald's problem was the combative shithole persona he'd developed to shield him from his terror of abandonment. And Robert's problem was he was an afterthought as the youngest. So those were the five, those were the, that, those were the luggage that uh, Fred Sr. equipped his children with to go out into the world. And if you ever feel like you come from a dysfunctional family, I'd like for you to visit the Trump family and the five children so you can feel better about yourself. My God. It's like why when I watch Intervention, I watch Intervention because I'm like, I'm all right. Right? I'm all right. <laughs> That's or why hoarders. people are like, you're watching Ozark? I'm like, look around. This is a feel-good show right now. <laughs> totally. Uh, I'm like, look, Hoarders, I don't have 17 dead cats in my living room. I am a cleanliness goddess. Um, now, uh, Freddie had been planning to... Uh, be his dad's right-hand man at Trump management because that was the pressure, right? But once he piloted a plane, once he took off, piloted a plane, his trajectory, no pun intended, changed. He joined ROTC, R-O-T-C, and he joined a Jewish fraternity. And Mary says whether it was a conscious rebuke of his father, who frequently used phrases such as Jew me down, Freddie's fraternity brothers became his best friends, and ROTC gave him a discipline that made sense, right? Like, you do something good, you you get rewarded. You do something bad, you get punished. Fuck made sense you know 
And I imagine that's another reason Donald Trump shits all over the military. He's like, I don't understand your concept of reward and punishment for doing things right and wrong, you know? I mean, but the things he said to say that we would not want to see a parade with our wounded warriors, go fuck yourself. Like, I mean, come on. So mad. Oh, the, the fury. I know. I'm sure that hits hard with, especially with you and everyone else who served, like, seriously. I, I mean, the anger as a civilian... I can't. I can't. I can't even imagine. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, look, I got PTSD. My wounds are invisible. So I guess that means I can be in a parade. Yay. You I can look at, Allison. My God. Mm. Ugh. I'll just get some blonde extensions. And maybe he'll want to date me. <laughs> and this next thing, the, the, this might be, like I said, you know, I mean, the whole the whole military system is transparent. And it's non-transactional. So the, there are, it's just... It just seems obvious. Like, like as as I'm going through this book again, it's incredible to now read it through the lens of the th- shit that Donald says about the military. Right. But um, it was that summer Freddie would meet his wife, Linda, and they were married two years later. And then Mary pivots to Donald at the New York Military Academy. And instead of learning discipline there, as Freddie did in ROTC, Trump learned that the person with the power got to decide what's right and wrong, made the rules, and anything that helped you get and maintain power was good and vulnerability sucks so you always want to be on top (laughs) which is funny because we all know that trump's putin's bottom but whatever keep going i can't (laughs) zinger (laughs) anyway back to freddie uh, after his senior year of college, he got his BA in business. He finished ROTC. He entered the Air National Guard and got his pilot's license. That's a big year. Uh, but he had no intention of using it. Uh, he had every intention of taking over his dad's business in Brooklyn. And by then, Fred had more than uh, Fred Senior had more than forty buildings with thousands of units across Brooklyn and Queens. He taught Freddie how to uh, cut corners and save money. You know, yeah, you know, yellow bricks are a penny, red bricks are two pennies. Use yellow bricks or whatever the fuck. I can't remember exactly what it says, but. Uh, he also dragged him around to Democratic Party fundraisers to get in tight with influ- influential politicos um, because that's New York. New York is Democrats. So that's who you have to get in tight with. And now he was now later, now that he's you know going around with his dad in these 40 buildings, Freddie is learning how to treat tenants like shit by ignoring complaints and, and gaslighting people. Yeah. Like one time they visited a guy who was complaining over and over again about not having any heat. And it was freezing in there, but Fred, before they got in there, took his jacket off and rolled up his sleeves and said, it's like the tropics in here. You know, just gaslighting his tenants. So gross. And he does that, you know, Trump does that to us all the time, Donald. Yeah. And um, it's it's just, it's, she's, this book is so incredibly well written with these stories that are pertinent to the psychology of Donald, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's in um, the military too and we all saw this Mary uh, last week tweeted out a picture of her father who actually served and her mom and it's just the sweetest picture you know it's, it's everything that Donald isn't uh, her father was everything that Donald isn't and he had never had a chance to self-realize that because from the beginning he was destroyed by his dad it's just so heartbreaking it truly is so heartbreaking that I mean I understand Mary's disdain for this family I'm actually surprised it's not more yeah, and and it it was it was Freddie's undoing because he was a self-made man. Yeah, and um, it was a uh, it was around that time, I guess, this time period that we're talking about that Freddie asked Linda to marry him, but the family didn't like her. They called her a gold digger, and and Mary says, 
Quote, but it was a fundamental and deliberate misunderstanding that failed to acknowledge reality. Linda probably had no idea just how wealthy her future father-in-law was, and if Linda was a gold digger, she was an exceptionally bad one. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I mean, Fred lied about how much, from from the beginning until after his death, there was lies about how much this, this, um, this family was worth. So there was no way she could have possibly known. It's ridiculous. No, and it, we'll get into this soon, but they lived in, in one of his shitty Jamaica Queen's fucking you know two bedroom apartments yeah and um interestingly this is a little bit of misogyny for you uh marrying freddie cost linda her airline stewardess job back then if you gained weight or let your hair get too long or you got married you were fired you couldn't be a stewardess and so that november fred trump the third was born uh, and a month later freddie bought his first plane but insisted no one tell his dad about it i don't know how you buy a plane and that's not I don't either. Keep it a secret. (laughs) I mean, maybe a Vespa, but I'm not sure where I would keep a plane. It's like the time machine in in the 1950s, five and back to the future. We'll hide the DeLorean here. (laughs) Just cover it with some tree branches and Jamaica. (laughs) (laughs) No one will notice a DeLorean. Oh, man. Um. Anyhow, the next the next year they would move it. Like I said, they would move into one of Fred's Jamaica estate buildings in a two bedroom apartment. Super gold digger win, by the way. Woo woo. And um, it was around then that Freddie told Linda he wanted to be a professional pilot. And after three years of working for his dad, it because beca- it you know became a grind, and he had been relegated to handling tenant complaints and overseeing maintenance. Um, so actual work, which is not what Donald did for the organization, right? Yeah, and it was also, I mean, it went against the kind man that he was. He was supposed to, you know, ignore these tenants and pretend like everything's fine and, and dupe them any way he could. And I think it just went against his, like, core values. Mary talks about it all the time, what a good guy her dad was. And it, it went against all of that. Yeah, and in fact, at one point, Freddie made a decision on his own about replacing some windows, and, and his dad got super pissed. He berated him in front of other employees and said, Donald is worth 10 of you. He would never have done anything so stupid. And and Donald was in high school at the time. Yeah. So, and uh, Linda didn't want Freddie to become a professional pilot because she, you know, having been a stewardess, she knew what pilots got up to during their layovers. Mm-hmm. So F- Freddie shelved the idea and kept working for his dad. And uh, blah. Um, so after that whole thing happened with, you know, his dad berating him in front of other employees, he told Linda how trapped he felt, and he said, I'm applying to TWA. He wasn't asking. He was now just kind of letting her know. He needed to be his own man. And when he told his dad, Fred was, Fred was stunned. Uh, and she said, quote, it was a betrayal, and he had no intention of letting his oldest son forget it. And that comes to pass a little bit later on in this next episode, or this next chapter that we're going to go over, which mm-hmm. is chapter four called expecting to fly but like how i can't imagine you know telling my parents i have this new idea about what i want to do with my life and have them see it as betraying them especially if they thought i was a piece of shit to begin with absolutely i mean i'm a professional comic i have a jewish mother i'm sure she wishes i was a doctor or a lawyer but i can never imagine my mother being i can't believe you've disgraced the family like this you dishonor our name yes she honestly, Allison, my mother's never been upset about any of my material. She's gone to all of my shows. She came up to me after a show once and she goes, Dana, it was a great show. The jokes were very funny. Did you have to say I was 63 on stage? Like that was her complaint. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never happen again, mom. It'll never happen again. 
I know my mom would use excuse to come to my shows and I'd get ready to play a song about blowjobs or something. And my, you could hear my mom in the audience. This is my favorite song. <laughs> oh, just just hilarious. And you can hear, you know, you can hear your mom's laugh from like a mile away. So, you, you know, you know, they're there. Yeah, um, it's so good. So good. <laughs> well, behind the curtains, comedians and their moms at their shows information. <laughs> so. Chapter four is is about Freddie again and his stint as a pilot and eventual fallback into his father's business. It was a setup for another f- failure that's going to come in the next chapter, by the mm-hmm. way. Uh, but he was he was so good at piloting, they gave him the coveted Boston to Los Angeles route on TWA. And Mary says, quote, what Freddie achieved in the cockpit made him unique in the Trump family. None of Fred's other children would accomplish so much entirely on their own. And that, I think, is a big point. Mm-hmm. Um. But it seems as though that position was dif- difficult to hold because he's a Trump. And though Marianne put herself through law school, that's Trump's sister, and became a prosecutor, um, she then became a judge on a federal appeals court. But that was only possible because Donald pulled some strings and did a favor. And never let her forget it. Ever. No, no, never. And... um here we are. Freddie put himself through fl- flight school, uh, defied his dad. He had zero. His dad had zero support for him. And um, not to mention he had the contempt of his entire family as well. Uh, but the 60s was like the golden age of flight. Right. Think of the movie Catch Me If You Can. These were like playboys. They're heroes. You know, they walk down the terminal and everyone's like, "Ooh, pilots. And they get yeah. sign autographs and shit. Right. And um, TWA was the airline of the Hollywood glitterati, yeah. thanks to Howard Hughes, you know? Which is so crazy because if Trump, if Donald was a pilot, AG, this is the only place he'd want to be. With TWA, with the Hollywood glitterati, trying to, you know, be the man. It's just so ridiculous. It's so interesting to see because it wasn't in real estate, the things that they put him through. Unbelievable. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and that, you know... I think Donald wanted that lifestyle, but didn't want to have to do any of the work, you know? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, and it, it, it was a lot of work for Freddie to get where he got. And, um, at that point, Freddie moved his family to Marblehead, which was 40 minutes Northeast of Boston, Logan. And they rented a little tiny cottage and, um, he, you know, cause he, that's where his route was. Yeah. Logan, Logan to LAX. But after a month of doing that, Freddie started to struggle. The schedule was grueling, and he started drinking more. And he didn't confide in his wife, so she didn't know about the constant abuse that he received from his dad. But his friends knew, right? And his Because his father, you would tell his friends that his father was embarrassed to have a bus driver in the sky as a son. He's such just a Which bad is, man. But TWA was like fucking the shit. It was the shit. Uh, back then. Um, absolutely so i don't understand bus driver in the sky i think he was just pissed because he was a self-made man honestly of course i mean he didn't follow what he wanted when he didn't follow what fred wanted him to do of course he's going to insult him every chance he can get yeah the huge betrayal thing right and um yeah one night after coming home he told linda just sort of out of the blue they they needed to get a divorce and she was confused and so that was weird and he said whatever and just started drinking again got another drink and in june uh donald and robert came to visit freddie arriving in donald's new sports car which was a high school graduation present from his parents a step up from the luggage freddie had received when he graduated from college and um at this particular time donald was at a crossroads apparently was he going to go to college or was he going to take over the trump family business or start working for the trump family business 
And the visit was tense, and Freddie started drinking and his, as his wife made them dinner. Uh, Linda made them dinner, and, and Donald started in before they even sat down, saying, you know, Dad's really sick of you wasting your life. Um, and she, He's embarrassed by you. And, and Freddie told Donald he didn't, you know, I don't need you to tell me what Dad thinks. I know what Dad thinks. And he also said, like, I don't get why you care. You want to work with Dad. Go ahead. I'm not fucking interested, right? You're right. And... um. Donald said, Dad was right about you. You're nothing but a glorified bus driver. You know, the AG, there was some story that came out that said Donald, Donald felt bad about the comments he said about Freddie after he died. And I call bullshit. I think it's just because they were uncovered and someone heard about him. I can't imagine him feeling a bit of remorse for any of the awful things he said about his family, much less a stranger on the street. Yeah, no, he got caught. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. He got caught. Like the Access Hollywood tapes. Exactly. That's what that reminded me of. Like, do you think he was really sorry that he grabbed a bunch of women by the pussy? No. Was he sorry that somebody has a tape of it and released it right before the election? Yeah. Also, sort of no. <laughs> I mean, did you see? <laughs> yeah, his apology was a little... His mm. apology was ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think he gives a shit. No. Um, but the chapter continues by indicating that, you know, Freddie's drinking just got worse, and he began to believe his dream was ending when TWA offered him a chance to fly out of Idlewild, which he immediately accepted, right? He's like, yeah, this I can salvage my career. Um, and he tried to convince his dad it was a great thing, but his dad fucking came at him again. Fred felt betrayed. So a few weeks later, Freddie told Linda that he had quit TWA, but in reality, TWA gave him an ultimatum. You can resign and keep your license, or you'd be fired because of your drinking, and you would never right. fly again. You, you know. So they moved back to that apartment in Jamaica, Queens. Um, but Freddie didn't give up. He tried to fly for some smaller airlines, you know, a little two-end bi-engine bi, bi planes. And, um, but these jobs didn't last long. His drinking just started to get way out of control. And... About a year after his career as a pilot began, he found himself sitting in front of his dad begging for a job he never wanted. And Fred reluctantly agreed and made sure he knew he was doing him a favor, kind of like how Donald made sure Marianne knew he was doing her a favor, right? Absolutely. Need loyalty. And everybody, you see this play out with the senators, with the states. I'm doing you a favor. If you kiss my ass enough, you give me what I want, I'll give you the funds you need. I'll give you the respirators. He is a piece of shit con artist. I can't. I get so angry. Like, I love talking about this stuff, but I'm also like, how the fuck did this happen? <laughs> yeah, or I need you to do me a favor, though, right? That's yeah. The, the reason he's impeached forever. Um, but a small glimmer of hope, I guess, emerged in February of 1965 when Fred acquired steeplechase park and he wanted to develop it but there was one big hurdle fred would have to change the zoning laws because it was public use park like mm -hmm. a, one of the three coney island amusement parks he would have to change zoning from public to private construction and he kind of dangled the opportunity to freddie who jumped at it um and by then linda was six months pregnant with mary and that is where this chapter leaves off and it's a cliffhanger because the shit that happens the shit that goes down with the steeplechase stuff i think is, oh my god is kind of the final straw for freddie i would think so i mean it just goes against and you'll read all about it and hear about it next week it goes against every fiber in his being mm. of goodness mm -hmm. and it's so hard to just imagine what that must have been like um yeah and uh, i don't want to give away too much because that we're going to cover that in the next in the next episode. Um, we'll be covering chapters five, six, and seven as we begin part two called "The Wrong Side of the Tracks," 
So join us for that. If you know somebody who's not a patron and isn't getting these episodes, just let them know. Hey, you can sign up for a free membership or you can, it's three bucks a month. And, and you also get all the Daily Beans and Muller She Wrote episodes ad free and early and the newsletter and all sorts of shit. So it's best three bucks um, in the podcasting business. Hardest working, hardest working $3 in the pod biz. Um, but wow. Yeah. These chapters are so crazy, uh, Dana. And like, so, uh, infuriating. It really are. The book is riveting. I know we're only a few chapters in, but I mean, I've had people that said they hadn't read a book in 10 years. They finished this in 24 hours. Like Mary Trump is making America read again. <laughs> like Mary Trump, Michael Cohen, all of these people. And it's just amazing that these books, I mean, how many people could write so many books about one man and somehow everyone's lying but him. It's the craziest thing. Yeah, it's... <sighs> Same like with the whole military thing, right? Yep, everyone's lying but Trump. Mm-hmm. And his and his supporters are like, this isn't this is bullshit. It's like every single media, major media news outlet, including Fox News and Pentagon officials and senior White House aides. Yeah. But you're gonna believe Trump and the Huckabeast. Oh that's, my God. That's your when she came, I'm like, okay, we didn't need to hear from you anymore at all, much less on this subject. I love that she was like, I was there for that conversation. I was like, the conversation that he said never happened? Tell me about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So, and that and, oh, so you were, you heard everything. Um, you were never out of earshot. It's also just the most ridiculous thing to, you know, it's, and this is taking it a little bit further, but when someone's like, I can't believe he would have raped that girl. Uh, he's such a nice guy. I'm like, just because he didn't rape you doesn't mean he's never raped another woman. It's the same thing about Trump being like, I never heard him say something like that in front of me. You're not with him 24 hours a day. He, he's not saying this in front of everybody. It's just it, ridiculous. No, it, it reminds me of the, the remember when Kavanaugh was uh, having his confirmation hearing and he had a, a letter signed by 100 women. Yes. Uh, I was like, oh, so you found 100 women you didn't rape and they wrote you a recommendation letter. Very yeah. cool. Um, very nice. You know, and Trump did that with the military. Yeah. And here's a testimonial <laughs> from one of Jeffrey Dahmer's friends that he didn't eat. Sir, what do you have to say? It's <laughs> here's, here's Jeffrey Dahmer doing the dishes with his mother. See, he's great. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, Jeffrey had a salad for lunch yesterday. He's not a cannibal. He had a salad. One, he ate five people last week. Five people. <laughs> it, oh. The, um... It's a cult. It's a cult. It is all I can think of. Um, it is. You're a you're a pleasure. You're a, you're a, you're a love. This, these have been the highlights of my week. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm I'm really glad to speak to you too. And thanks for being on the Daily Beans. I know we're going to do the Good News Block this week, and I appreciate you uh, joining me there. And uh, seriously, you are like my new favorite person. So thank you. Thank you. I've gotten such great feedback from your bean your bean team, your listeners, your queens, all of it. So the Leguminati. The, oh my God, I saw that today and it made me giggle. Yes, I love, pe- I love the creativity of people and the joy we're finding and even the simplest things these days. It just brings me, it brings me happiness. I found a watermelon that fit in the palm of my hand yesterday, Allison, and it was the most joy I'd experienced in a week and a half. Oh, like a little baby watermelon kitty. It was a little baby watermelon kitty. Mm, watermelon. Well... Thank you very much. And um, everybody, thank you for listening and tune into the Daily Beans. And thank you for being patrons. I really appreciate it. And thanks again to Stephen Isaac for 
for making this this series possible. We'll we'll talk to you next week. Um, so everyone, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, and take care of the planet. I've been AG, and I've been DG, and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.